listening to the house of mercy on the water's edge was a man who met the savior so the gospel said waiting there he was with the lepers and the lame till an angel it was told down from heaven came folks tuned in from all around near and far just to listen to house of mercy waiting for the waters to stir we're just listening to the house of mercy waiting for the waters to stir. For God, there are no outsiders, which means that any mechanism for the creation of outsiders is automatically and simply a mechanism of human violence. And that's that. That's from James Allison, Raising Abel. Yeah, and that, uh, that was the, the opening reading. And I want, I want to welcome everybody. Of course, this is the Sunday service podcast of House of Mercy. And whenever you've tuned in, whether it be 5 o'clock this Sunday evening on the... Uh, 22nd or whenever we're glad that you found us in your ear yeah very glad welcome how are you doing russell oh i'm i'm doing uh, i'm doing pretty good yeah i mean yeah we're getting in that uh thanksgiving uh thanksgiving week and you know all the plans maybe that some people had or they're not keeping them yeah I'm very confused about my plans. Don't know my, you know my folks need some caretaking. Kind of want to relieve my brother, but don't want to give him COVID. I I just can't decide what the best thing to do is. I know it really is, and uh, usually by this time I've ordered my you know, uh, organic uh, you know, hand massaged turkey <laughs> by now, but I haven't I haven't ordered a thing. I don't even know. I ordered a turkey breast to bring to my folks, and I have got tested negative, but it's just still, it's, it's uh, stressful and confusing. It is really stressful and confusing, and I was like, uh, well, I don't know. you know what I was thinking about, though? Thanksgiving? No. I think we should try and really muster some Thanksgiving, at least, during this Thanksgiving. Yeah. Because it's a I time so. where I don't feel that, you know, grateful. Yeah, I know. That's true. It would be a good day, even if it's a horrible day to the indigenous to indigenous community. Yeah. We could make it a day to try to be grateful. That's good. Yeah, let's just try. We can try and do that, be grateful. and. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, pie, too. You know, at least maybe we'll make a pie. That's one thing for sure. Yeah. yeah. Pie and gratitude. Yeah. I don't know how that can be too bad. No, so. uh, pie and gratitude. I like it. Okay, well, let's... Uh, let's get let's make some announcements here as we do yeah. in this let's announcement time. What do we have coming up? Well, we're going to be starting a pledge drive real soon. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, we. This is the first time we are uh, a pledge drive in this new reality of ours. Where, uh, uh, yeah, we're not here together, so we don't know what a pledge drive actually looks like in in this uh, new reality. But we are getting together this Tuesday. Some people from the board and talking about what it what does a new pledge drive look like in this new reality, because uh, yeah, we still continue to be a community and a community of faith, and uh, we still continue to, you know have bills like everybody does so uh, yeah if you have any uh, actually comments uh, ideas understandings you send them along uh, if you'd like want to be part of the conversation just let me know russell at house mercy.org yeah that would actually be good if people had ideas oh i think when, so too yeah. because you yeah. know it's all new yeah for all new. Yeah. yeah all right and hey we have a book book club starting on december 1st uh reading I know I'm not going to say his name right, but Slavijan Zizek's book about the pandemic, examining that. I haven't got the book yet, but I'm going to get it and I'm going to read it. Yeah. Um, and anyone can join. That's right. Uh, there'll be a link that will come on the newsletter. Is that right, Russell? Yeah, a link to the Zoom conversation uh, to uh, talk about uh, pandemic, COVID-19 shakes the world, where he's, uh, he wrote this book during the time of pandemic. Yeah, but we get the newsletter that's going to come out that you probably got saying, hey, it's uh, the podcast is up. That newsletter will have all the information, how to join, how to order the book. Uh, you can get it. And uh, we'd love to have as many people as possible who would like to have a conversation around this uh, Hungarian philosopher. No, he's... Um, Albanian? No, he's uh, Czechoslovakian. Do you know? I'm not sure. Yeah, anyway. Eastern European. Eastern European uh, philosopher. Um, I hope that's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, yeah, please join us for that. Uh, like I said, it's a very short book, short read, and uh, I mean, I think real nice uh, cover graphics, if you like that sort of thing. I always do. Um, all right, and then also coming up, well, uh, also in Advent, starting uh, that first at Thursday Advent, uh, we're doing an Advent podcast uh, in called uh, Waiting for the World to Begin Again. Advent is time of looking forward, looking forward to uh, ostensibly the birth of God into the world. I don't know what the qualifier ostensibly means in this sentence, but it just came out. And also of uh, the second coming, the... Uh, uh, the apocalypse, the new world, the end of the old, the beginning of the new. It's quite a, I don't know, it's a crazy thing. But it so, is a crazy thing. But so we are considering, uh, everybody's talking about the end of the world, but we have this Christian faith who, that leads us to uh, look for the beginning, the new the world beginning again. Um, so waiting for the world to begin again, uh, we're asking members of the community, writers, songwriters, essays, poets, write something two to uh, three to seven minutes long, however you like that, and uh, send it in, record it on your phone, send it to me, and we're going to put those together. And that's going to be every Thursday uh, during Advent. We've already got some great, great writers, send some great stuff in, and if you're interested, contact Russell at houseofmercy.org. Yeah. All right. That sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Please join me now in the prayer of invocation. 
It's sometimes difficult to sit alone and know that one is not alone. Sometimes it only takes a stray thought or random memory for the love and presence, the assurance and gratitude of our relationships and our our place among peoples and creation to come flooding in, filling us with a kind of profound contentment and felicity that we could be right in calling God. Let this be one of those times. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now may the peace of Jesus Christ be with you all and also with you. Please exchange the sign of peace with those around you and in your thoughts with those at a distance. Please join with us in singing House of Mercy hymn number 27 on the Jericho Road. Tonight's reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, 
she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. The end of the reading. Thanks be to God. Imagine you're in the middle of a funeral for someone you loved. A man walks up to the casket, opens the lid, and your loved one sits up, looks at you. I think your feelings might be mixed. I don't know what I would do. Scream? Would I feel mostly scared or happy or a lot of things? It's it's one thing when Jesus brings like Jairus' daughter back to life. She just died. She's still lying in her bed at home. There's something different about opening up a tomb and seeing a dead man walk out. But I think whatever that would feel like, It might be similar to what it feels like to get a glimpse of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not like just soothing, because it's so disruptive to what we've come to expect about the order of the world. Grace, everlasting life. The words hardly convey the impact of death being emptied of all its power. So this story is the last sign in John's gospel, the signs that reveal what Jesus is about. 
This one seems pretty obvious. Jesus is all about life. Death is no obstacle to him. He's been trying to get this across to people all along, but this one is like, if you missed that part somehow, about the everlasting, overflowing, incredibly lively, ever-generative, infinitely merciful life, I'm raising my friend from the grave. And raising a friend from death is even sort of a minimal demonstration of all the life untainted by death that God is about. It's a foretaste of death finally forever being emptied of any power whatsoever when Jesus is murdered and comes back to life. Not to enact the wrath of God against anyone at all, but to forgive everyone who conspired, betrayed, denied, and killed him. These are very weird stories. I wish I could believe them. I don't know if I'm capable of that, but I'm pretty sure our belief isn't required in order for God to suck all the power out of death. Not even required in order for the spirit to get through to us a little so we glimpse, so we get a whiff of the reality that God has emptied death of any power. I think believing at least a little might help us have less to do with death, which might help our activity in the world be more life-giving, life-loving, less afraid. In this story, most of the characters are acting how people do around death. It's very sad to bury someone you love. There's a hopelessness to it. But Jesus seems to have a different attitude toward death doesn't seem to frighten him, especially in John's gospel. It doesn't have any power over him. Mortality doesn't seem to be that big of a deal to him. And this is the thing. He seems convinced that whatever he has, we can have too. Death has no grip on him. And he wants Mary and Martha and the disciples and everyone to also be free from his grip. I think we'd like that too to be free from its grip. Though our lives are so formed by it, it might actually be disturbing. What Jesus reveals isn't so much that there's a resurrection of the dead. Lots of people already believed in that. Martha already believed in that. She's like, yeah, I know. Lazarus will be raised on the last day. The good news isn't about the existence of a hereafter, some information about the afterlife. It's that death has no power. And if death has no power, then a whole different kind of perception of reality is possible. Death has been made non-toxic, as James Allison says. But what does that mean? For most of us, death operates as more than just a mere little biological fact. It is far more extensive of a grip on us. Our culture puts a lot of energy into shielding ourselves from it, defending ourselves against it, trying to prove we aren't vulnerable to it. Like, look at all the giant, powerful things we can build. Look at the size of our bombs, our 
Our nation put so much more money and time and imagination into building death machines, into a military budget, than it does into saving the life of the planet or education or healthcare or art or growing food, life. But maybe we only know how much death has defined us when we start to glimpse that it defines us no more. You know, I'm sorry, obviously I don't know how to talk about this very well. But death can seem so big and strong somehow because it appears to survive everything else in history. The one constant is death. And we fear it as if it were God. But this God doesn't lead us to beautiful love and compassion and kindness. It drives us to greed and rivalry and competition as if all that was necessary to ensure our survival. As if survival of the fittest must be the mantra that drives us. But actually, when when Darwin came up with the term survival of the fittest, he really didn't mean it like survival of the strongest, but fittest in the sense of appropriate, what what fits, what, what fits best in a space. There's a lot of room for different things to fit in different spaces. He didn't just mean survival of the thing with the most muscles. But we've used his theories to justify the callous nature of capitalism, the military-industrial complex, as if it is right and natural to devalue the weak, the broken, the old, the poor. Where does it lead? Not good places. This isn't how God created the world to be. Sure, nature can be competitive, but it's also incredibly cooperative. I mean, atoms cooperate by combining to make molecules. The components in a cell work together to keep it living. We live in a complex and utterly interdependent universe. The more that scientists look at the way the world operates, the more they see interdependence. The whole fabric of the planet depends on it. If the universe weren't more cooperative than it is competitive, it would fall apart. But it's like our consciousness as humans have been formed in rivalry, not cooperative interdependence. We create our identity and community based on a sort of competitive framework whether we're completely conscious of it or not, like we know we're good people because we know who the bad people are. We feel good when we can compare ourselves or our family or our community favorably over against some other meaner or dumber or less healthy or less woke people. This way of operating operating is so prevalent, it's almost like we don't know how to move in any other way. I might not be doing enough for the environment, but at least I don't live in a McMansion and drive an SUV like them. And that makes me feel good. It's, it's almost like we don't know how to feel good, except by comparing our goodness or beauty, intelligence, righteousness over against others. I've noticed it seems hard to leave it at, for example, not wearing a mask is a bad choice. Probably informed by rhetoric of a leadership that is politicized or something. Instead, we go to people who don't wear masks are bad, selfish, maybe even 
evil destroying our world, and we might be better off if they were dead. I mean, yeah, we don't we really we don't really say that or quite think that, but it seems like people come a little bit closish. And the anti-maskers think the same thing about people who wear masks, I think. We represent the force that would let children die from hunger due to economic collapse. It's like we are living so beholden to binaries. Good, bad, in, out, we, they. This is death. Deathiness. And it would be good for the world if we were free from it. But I mean, I know I do this sort of thing every other hour. I do it with Jim. We, we like to talk about how horrible our Trump-loving neighbors are, mostly not even knowing them, except that they have too much lawn and big trucks. But we feel united when we have them to talk badly about. But I also think I solidify my identity, my goodness and rightness, over against Jim. In the most trivial of matters imaginable, he's, he's wrong, maybe, maybe even a little bad to be anxious about having to go to the bank to get something notarized. And I am right to be irritated by his anxiety. Instead of feeling compassion and love for the full spectrum of humanity, I have to gauge where I am on the spectrum or something. Even in my very best, most intimate relationship, there's still something in me that lurches toward building my identity over against another. This doesn't contribute to the flourishing of life. It's what it's like to be locked in death's grip. Someone must be condemned in order for goodness to thrive. I think it's very difficult not to see things this way. It seems especially hard these days. I read a headline like, Trump pushes ahead with drilling auction and Arctic wildlife refuge before Biden becomes president. And I feel so angry and desperate and sad. The planet is dying. There's little hope for the future of humanity. I am enraged on behalf of the indigenous people who, who made a home there for thousands of years. I feel enraged on behalf of the next generation, on behalf of my own beautiful children. My fury feels violent, even murderous. And I only read a headline. And I don't even know that much about the particular situation. Something like this has happened to me most days in the last four years. I guess I can see why the nation seems so hopelessly divided. There seems to be all these threats that are gripping my soul, tying it up in knots, fear, anxiety, like... There's this sense of utter futility and yet grasping, usually in some way, that involves condemning bad people or bad person. What if I believed in resurrection, an everlasting life, that God swallows up death entirely inside of love? It seems like it might open up the possibility of a radically different way of being. Jesus wants to free us, to love, 
and to create community in a way that doesn't involve the condemnation of others. What does it look like to be set free? To somehow trust in the love of God? It's very hard, I think, to receive this freedom. It would be much more than simply having peace about our own death or the death of people we love. It would be more of a radical coming alive, opening up, not feeling clenched by judgments, not feeling compelled to hide our vulnerability, a capacity to be more relaxed, less competitive. All our usual ways of forming identity don't work in light of everlasting life that has no reference to death, a love and mercy that is for all equally. Can we get through this time in the world without defining ourselves over against them? What does it look like? I'm guessing it probably looks like all sorts of things. Loving life more thoroughly, capacity to live life more fully, all kinds of life. Not indulging our contempt, even though it sometimes feels good and energizing to do it. Instead of fear, live. Instead of hate, love. I really like that we're living in a time where queer is becoming a beautiful word the refusal to pledge our allegiance to binaries. I think it looks like that. Of course it doesn't mean anything like ignoring oppression. But it might be not believing the world would be better if some people were dead. There must be some creative options in the middle there. But we're going to need our imaginations to find them. Let the blossoming begin for the anxiety-riddled, ambiguity-laden world in which we live. May the scared, misogynist, racist white boys find life, not hemmed in by hatred. May the old white men who have had power but who have not felt peace or compassion or love or vulnerability find life. Be freed from what is hurting them and thus hurting us all. May those who have felt unloved in comparisons because they're not pretty or thin or not muscular or smart by the standards the world usually applies, may they flourish. Instead of hating my enemy, may I see what in myself is like him. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and gave thanks for it and broke it and gave it to the disciples to eat, saying, Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and gave the cup for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. We invite you to share communion with each other during the hymn.
won't you please join us in singing House of Mercy hymn number 24, Amazing Grace. Abundant mercy, profound love, and gratitude for creation everywhere we go this week. <laughs>